Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. I was in Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica, in a place called Sablamar. Anybody ever been there? Sablamar. Well, it's in the mountains. It's not in one of those great places where they have oceans and stuff like that. And, and the minister was, he was old school. And uh, he got up and he said, my task tonight is to remove an offering. And I thought, I've never heard that expression before. Kind of like remove a appendix, remove tonsils, but remove an offering it's as though it required surgery. <laughs> what I love about the life of faith is that many times God calls us to take a step to do something because it's the right thing to do. And we, we, use, we utilize our resources and we... We walk with him in faith, believing that he's called us to do something. And then at times he tells us, I want you to do this. But at the same time, as they have taken this step of faith, it's also a step of faith on your part. But I want to I just give you three principles that I think are really important for living. We have a, we have a concept at home that we call we tithe we sow, we save, and we spend. We tithe, we sow, we save, and we spend. And uh, we try to keep that in that order. Uh, spending sometimes runs to the front, but it doesn't work that way. And we've enjoyed living that life. The most generous person that I know is sitting right next to, to David, and uh, she'll give away the whole ranch if it's necessary, but she's learned that she can't be God-giving. And I've learned that as well. I remember years ago before we were uh, really pressing into some of the things we were doing, I looked at our accounting one year and I realized that I hadn't tithed for that year. I mean, it was, so I just, I just made a comment to her. I just said, hey, Barb, I just realized that we didn't tithe last year. And I said, we, <laughs> uh, and and her expression went like this. Um, you're telling me you're Genghis Khan. We didn't tithe. We didn't tithe. I mean, it was like, I, didn't, I said, I didn't say I killed anybody. I just said we didn't tithe. But it, it was a moment in, in my life in which, and you only need some moments. You only need one time. And, uh, and then you go on because you, you write the checks and you do what you're supposed to do. I did catch up on it, incidentally. But... Our commitment to follow kingdom principles has been a part of our life for a number of years. And so every year we commit to giving more than we did the last year. I tithe on what I want to make as opposed to what I did make. And, and I'm watching God just say, you want to make that? You tithe on that, I tithe on that. And he says, okay, well, how about that? I said, let's do that again. And it's been a journey, I mean, such an incredible journey that we've been living in. And I so appreciate God's faithfulness. This house is not just a house where 
you come and you just sit and you enjoy. There's something that God's doing here that you want to invest in. And there are three principles that I've seen in Scripture relevant to giving that make so much sense to me. And one of them is in the book of Samuel. You remember Hannah? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you remember because you don't remember. That's about 1,400 years ago. Um, anybody remember? From, <laughs> but Hannah was desperate for a child. She wanted a boy. She wanted a baby boy, not a girl. She wanted a baby boy. And uh, her rival was her husband's other wife who had a lot of kids. And so she'd pick on Hannah. And so one day Hannah said, God, if you give me a boy, I'll give him back to you. And so she's praying that prayer. And Eli heard her pray the prayer. And so uh, he told Hannah, the Lord grant you your desire. What was going on was that Hannah wanted a child. Hannah wanted a boy. God wanted a prophet. When Hannah's need met God's desire, those two things came together. What happened with Hannah was that Hannah didn't realize it, but she was not giving her only. She was giving her first. Hannah gave her first. When she gave her first to God, I use this as a first fruit scripture all the time. But when Hannah gave her first, God gave her five. You give me that one and I'll give and And it's an amazing thing. Say Hannah gave her first. And then in, in, in uh, First Kings, well, actually it's in, uh, yeah, First Kings. Elijah goes to a widow, a poor widow, and God says to him, I have commanded her to sustain you. I've commanded a woman on welfare to take care of you. And so... Elijah gets there and he says to the lady, he says, uh, can you give me some bread and some water? And she says, I can give you some water, but bread, that's out of the question. We're going to eat our last piece of bread and die. He says, give it to me first. Give it to me first. God has promised that he will multiply the meal and the oil so that you will have food for a long, long time. Hannah gave her first. This woman says, this is all I have. This is my last. She gave her last, and God multiplied her last for two and a half years, fed her, fed Elijah. And the interesting thing is that in her house, when she desperately needed an answer to prayer, was a prophet who was there because she had obeyed God. And her little boy, who was already destined to die, was raised from the dead because Hannah, who gave her first, the widow gave her last. Say last. I've given my last at times. And then at times when you give your last, you have something called giver's remorse. I don't know if you ever had that or not. God, how much should we give? Well, how much do you have? That's all I have. Well, let's give that. So I'm like, God, I don't know, but then you give your last. Hannah gave her first. The widow gave her last. There's another widow that Jesus is looking at when they come to bring the offering. You remember this story in the Gospel of Mark? And she brought, along with all these other guys who are bringing bags of money and putting them in, she brought two little copper coins worth pretty much nothing. 
But Jesus said she gave all she had. You can give your first, you can give your last, or you can give your all. A lot of us will never give our all because we really don't trust God to multiply the seed that we sow. And God has to keep his word. I remember singing a song. In fact, we sang it last Sunday in our church. And, uh, and it's a beautiful song. And I think I know the, the underlying and the overtones and all that stuff. But the song said, I'm not here for blessing. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. And I said, I can't sing that song because I came here for a blessing. I mean, <laughs> what's the point in coming to church if you're going to get a blessing? And then if, if God says, I will multiply the seed that you sow, he owes me. Well, okay, I'm, I'm not trying to steal your religious stuff, but I, I'm just saying, hey, look, let's get real. When you came here, in fact, that's thing I said to David, I said, this morning, we were, this evening, we were sitting in the, in the uh, green room, which isn't green. <laughs> and I said, I'm hearing that song. I came here to lose myself, to give all I have away. If you lose yourself in these days and give what God tells you to give, you will go home like Naaman went home with a with two bags of earth from that place that changed his life. I'm going to ask you to give, help us to meet all of the needs of this conference. Uh, we did a registration, and that's part of doing all the things that we have to do to get people here. But would you help us meet the budget? In fact, would you help us go ahead of the budget? So, sow something significant. Sow something that says... I have an expectation that God is going to meet a need in my life that I don't even know I have. And I've watched it happen. We raised an offering Sunday, and I asked Barbara, what should we give? We have this gift account when people give us stuff that's not tax uh, in, in charged, and, and we put it in that account. I just say, I said, God, what should we give? He said, why don't you give 10% of that? I said, 10%! <laughs> 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 And I did. We gave the 10%. Barbara said, okay, let's do it. And um, yesterday, someone gave us a very large check that is the beginning of the restoration of the 10% that I gave, and that's even more. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to think of something that you can say to God in your giving that expresses your delight in being here in this place, in this ministry, under the leadership of these most incredible people. We don't have $1,000 lines in this church, but you do know that 1,000 is spelled T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D. I want you to close your eyes and just say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I really need to know what you want me to give in this offering, in these days. Amen. If you're making out checks, you can do that and then they're right on the screen are all the things that you need to know in order to give to this house. Would you tell these two precious servants how much you appreciate them with clapping and noise and with... 
with generosity. Love you. I came here for a blessing. I did. And uh, I've already received it. It's great to be with Jason and, of course, with the Dwell Band. All right. Are you guys doing that? You taking, are we taking an offering? Is that what we're doing now? Okay, it's on the screen. All right. Say, God, this is what I think of you. All right. It's your offering. Have something if you're not giving online and you have something physical you want to put in uh we have we have an usher here just kind of he's going to make his way around what one over here they're going to make their way around uh so bishop's just going to keep going i'm going to keep going can i have a keyboard player somebody tell me can i help yeah this man was like man what is this great i didn't bring my band because i thought i'd have one here but uh, <laughs> thought D can you play in D D, D. the key is that one <laughs> D. I was I was in Chicago and um, they had asked me to come for a particular week of ministry and so he says we're going to ordain um, some pastors and and um, and so he wanted me to meet with them and I did. I met with them on Saturday morning and then Saturday evening we had this amazing service and then Sunday morning I did two messages and two services and then Sunday night we ordained them and uh, one of my dear friends came, a great prophet and and we prayed for all these people. We ministered to them and it went on and on and on. Um, I was tired. I mean, I really was. I just I said, man, I've had it. I've had enough of church. So when, when the pastor dismissed and said amen, I made, a, I made a beeline for the green room. And it was really crowded up there, up front where I was. And this, this guy stopped me and he said, you remember me? I met you 30 years ago in Richmond, Virginia at... And I got so mad. I mean, I just, I lost it. And I said, no, I don't remember you. And, and then I ran out. I was running anyway. And then this guy was behind me, touching me on the shoulder, Bishop Garlington, Bishop. And I acted like I didn't hear him. Because I didn't want to stop. And I ran into the green room and, he, and I sat down and he came into the green room. He said, I was trying to catch you. I was calling you. Didn't you hear me calling you? And I couldn't lie. So I didn't say anything. And he said, I wanted to give you something. And he had an, an envelope. It was an offering envelope. And I recognized the size and the shape of an offering envelope. I've had them before. And he handed it. I mean, it was very thick. It had money in it. He said, I was wanting to give you something and I thought I was running from a blessing wow, wow, wow. and you know the song all my life you have been faithful yeah, yeah. all my life you have been so, so 
With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. And then this, this lyric came to me as he's doing that. Your goodness is running after. I got so tickled. It was. Your goodness is running after. It's running after. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Have you ever had a dream, and in the dream, somebody was chasing you? People chasing you are shadows or dark things chasing you in the dream are seldom after you to harm you. There are things in your world, in your life, that you aren't recognizing, and they're following you. And because we are so afraid of shadows, dark things, we tend to run first. But what if the person in the dream is chasing you because you left your purse at the party and they're trying to catch you with something good? Rather than run from that, rather than run in the dream or run in your pursuit of other things, just stop and turn and face whatever it is that's chasing you and say, I welcome you into my life because the promise of Psalm 23 is goodness and mercy will follow you once in a while. Oh, really? Your Bible says all the days? <laughs> okay. All the days of your life, and you will, I love that word, in the house of the Lord forever. Come on. All my life you have been faith. Think of one moment when he hasn't been. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of God. I have two parables to get you ready for the message. She's a grandmother. She's at a beach setting for a wedding. And she and her grandson are out by the water just taking a walk and a freak wave comes in and just snatches the little boy out of her grasp, carries him out into the water and she's screaming God I need him back God I just can't show up without my grandson and, and you know the, she's just cr crying out to God another freak wave comes in and, and he lands right back by her side and she says thank you God but he had a hat <laughs> I 
Some people can't be grateful no matter what. It's the way life is. We don't tell blonde jokes anymore because it's just not right to do that. And so my, my mentor said, one of my mentors says, let's tell jokes about a people group that don't exist. And I said, well, like who? He says, well, like the Hittites. They don't exist anymore. And so there was this Hittite girl who decided she wanted to ride a horse for the first time. And so she got on this horse and she's riding and she's doing pretty good. And then all of a sudden the horse picks up speed and then it scares a little bit and she loses her grip and she's sliding off the horse and the horse is galloping even faster and faster. And finally she's, she's hanging off the side and her head is where one of the hoofs comes up and it kicks her in the head every time it makes this kicks her, kicks her, and she's almost unconscious until the Walmart manager came and unplugged the horse. <clears throat> All right. Now that I have your attention, I want you to, uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles with me. If you have a Bible, or if you have one you can't turn in but turn on, uh, Go with me to Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. This same passage is quoted a little bit differently, but it's in Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel. He anointed me to preach the gospel. Would you say that, please? He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recover their sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then look with me at Acts chapter 10, verse 38. You know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him. Somebody say anointed. How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. How God anointed him. Say anointed again. No, say anointed again. All right. And how God, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. In seminary, one of the things that they taught us about words, that many times a word in English that takes two words to translate is only one word in Greek. And the, the expression to preach, he anointed me to preach. To preach is not two words in the Greek, it's one word, and it's an infinitive. 
And the idea of the infinitive is that it expresses purpose. Purpose. Purpose is the reason for which something exists. He anointed me to priest, so the, the purpose of the anointing is to preach. Anointing is for purpose. Would you say that, please? Anointing is for purpose. Say it again. And let me just give you, I'm, I'm not going to call this a definition, but I'm going to call it a description. Cold, can we put that description upon the screen here? There it is. I love things, people, that they just respond before you know that. Can you see that, where it is? I mean, the symbols and all that stuff are in the way, but it's okay. Anointing for purpose. An outward expression. Can you all read that? Um, can you, do you have screens and stuff like that? They have other screens. Great. So read it with me, please. An outward expression of a divine choice for a temporary or permanent assignment. It is not necessarily a wholehearted affirmation of approval of the character of the person chosen. It's more a sovereign selection of an entity who will fulfill Yahweh's purpose for a time and a season he chooses. I don't call this a definition. I call it a description because there are other things that you can use for a description. An outward expression of a divine choice so that when, when someone in the Bible is anointed, almost always with oil, when they are anointed, that anointing is for a particular purpose. God just doesn't do things willy-nilly. And so when he does anoint, he's got something in mind. The first king, in fact, let's go to, uh, uh, where do we want to go? Anywhere. It's all good. <laughs> let's, go to, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 10. Chapter 10. And um, do you have that living Bible translation there? Because I want to read it from the living Bible. Anybody remember the living Bible? And this is not the new living translation. I don't like that one. The living Bible is the, is the real deal. Here it is. I'm going to tell you about this verse, this, this passage, because it'll, it'll help you. Maybe it'll help you, maybe it won't, but it helped me. I lived for years wanting to be in the perfect will of God. And it's hard. It's hard to be in the perfect will of God. I remember praying, God, I want to be in your perfect will. And then about three weeks later, the world just burst open. The roof went off. The walls fell down. The bottom fell out. And I just said, God, what are you doing? He says, I'm putting you in my perfect will. I said, well, where was I? And so... I have discovered that the idea of being in what we would call the perfect will of God isn't going to happen because we have too many internal issues. We are human. We are. We have this treasure in an imperfect vessel. And so, God, I want to do the right thing. And the moment you say I'm going to do the right thing, then the wrong thing just pops up. It's like, like your left brain decides... I know you want to fly, but I'm not going to let you fly. You want to be perfect, but I've got things in my life that I'm going to keep you from yours. And so perfect was a challenge. So I said, God, what color socks should I wear today? He says, who cares? 
You can wear different color socks. We will laugh. We will enjoy it. And so I'm looking at this passage in 1 Samuel 10 in the Living Bible, set me free. And I want you to see this. Come on. Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it over Saul's head, kissed him on the cheek and said, I'm doing this because the Lord has appointed you. Remember, it's purpose. The Lord has appointed you to be the king of his people, Israel. He says, when you leave me, you'll see two men besides Rachel's tomb as Zelza. In the land of Benjamin, they will tell you that the donkeys have been found and that your father is worried about you and is asking, how am I to find my son? And when you get to the Oak of Tabor, you will see three men coming toward you who are on their way to worship God at the altar at Bethel. One will bring three young goats, another will have three loaves of bread, and the other will have a bottle of Kool-Aid. Oh, I'm sorry, that's, that's not the other church. Okay, they'll have a bottle of wine. All right, this is okay. <laughs> they will greet you and offer you two of the loaves which you are to accept. After that, you will go to Gibeoth, Galahim, as also known as God's Hill, where the garrison of the Philistines is. As you arrive there, you will meet a band of prophets coming down the hill, playing a psaltery, a temple of fruit, a harp, and prophesying as they come. At that time, everybody say at that time. Say at that time. Really loud, at that time. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come, how? Mightily upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will feel and act like a different person. Now, think about this. All of these things that Samuel is saying to him, he is giving him specifics to watch for. And it is as detailed as it can be. It's not like it'll be, you know, kind of like maybe two or three guys. I'm not sure how many. And come on, go have some bread and, you know, a couple of things like that. No, he gets really specific about who's coming, what they're going to do, what they're going to be, where you're going to meet them. As, I love specificity, particularly when you want to know what God's will is. And so he says... At that time, when you see all of these things come to pass, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you will prophesy with them, and you will feel and act like a different person. He's talking to Saul here. Look at verse 7. Everybody read that, please. From that time on, your decision should be based on whatever seems best. Oh, man, I love that verse. Whatever seems best under the circumstances, for the Lord will guide you. There, there's, there's something that we need to understand is that we're looking for specificity, and God is saying, hey, let me just show you what specificity is like. He brings Adam into a garden, and he exposes him to all of the trees in the garden, and he says to him, these only, this one right here, that's the only one. He doesn't say that. He says, of all the trees in the garden, you may freely eat. That one right there, leave that one alone. All the trees. We're saying, God, what's the perfect tree? He says, whichever seems best under the circumstances. You want all that God has for you, and God wants you to know, I, I really need you to enjoy life. 
you, you, need to, you need to go ahead and enjoy life. And the anointing isn't just so that you can go cast out demons because the scripture says Jesus chose 12 for the primary reason of being with him. The purpose is to be with him. Some time ago, I heard a guy tell me, early on in our marriage, this is, this, I'm, I'm going to tell you some true stories now. <laughs> early in our marriage, I, I woke up and Barbara was lying next to me. We were married, all right? She's lying next to me. And, uh, and, and I thought, this girl is beautiful. And, I, and I, I said it to myself. I said, man, you have locked up. So when she opened her eyes, she says, what are you doing? I said, I was just thinking of I said, you know what? I don't feel like I'm married. Here, these are the words that she spoke to me more than 50 years ago that have resonated in my life for years. She said, adjust your feelings to the facts. And I did. And we've been married for 15 years because I made an adjustment. Sometimes in your life, in order to get on to your next level, you've got to decide what it is you are here to do. What you are here to obey. How you're going to get your to done. You and I, we live in the to all the time. That's a different message. But we go from faith to faith. And you don't go from faith to faith. You go from faith to faith. And it just goes on and on. When God opens the door, he shuts the door. When he shuts the door, he opens the door. And you've got to get from this door to that door in the tunnel. And when you are between the hall or between the doors in the hallway, a guy told me one day, he said, he says, when God shuts the door, he opens another door, but it's hell in the hallway. <laughs> and how many of you have been in the hallway? So I'm looking at this, whatever seems best in the circumstances. Now, please go with me. This is, this is Saul's anointing. And I, I don't have time to unpack all of this, but Samuel gave Saul specific directions right after that. And right after that, he says, I'm going to meet you in Ramah. Wait for me until I come and I will show you how to offer the sacrifice. And of course, Saul didn't do that. And so you have to read that story on your own. But when he didn't do it, he began to disqualify himself from his two. He anointed him to be king over Israel. He was God's response to the people saying, we need a king. We want to be like everybody else. And, and so God says, I will give you Saul. Now, Saul was not the people's choice. The people wanted a king, but God chose the king he wanted them to have. So let anybody tell you, well, Saul was the people's choice, but David was God's choice. They were both God's choices. And all of us can be God's choices, but the problem is, what are we going to do once we are anointed? And Saul said, I forced myself to disobey you. And Samuel said, that forcing of yourself disqualified you. You could have been king forever. But now God has somebody who is a person after his own heart. 
So now go to go to First Samuel 16. Hurry up. First Samuel 16. When you're there, say I'm there. On the screen. Here it is. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, where I provided myself a king among his sons. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready with... Now, here's the problem. Samuel went to anoint a king. He suspected that he could figure out who that was. Jesse had seven sons. The first son comes out and saw, Samuel sees him and he says... Surely the Lord's choice is before me. And the Lord says, surely it's not. And he says, mm. And he says, yeah, what's the second son? He, uh, him, he says, no, uh-uh. Third son, uh-uh. Fourth son, uh-uh. Sixth son, all he has are uh-uhs. And now he realizes that he hasn't had an uh-huh yet. And so he's saying to him, you any more sons? He says, yes, we do, but, you know, where is he? I don't know. The last time, you know, I think he's somewhere playing a guitar out in the woods or, you know, just take, he just takes care of the sheep. He's, he's kind of a stray and um, he, was, he was a mistake. And, and so we, we let him hang around and he's the youngest in addition to that. And so Samuel said, well, I need you to get him here. Well, him? He says, yeah, I want you to get him here. And so he sent somebody to get David. They don't know where David is. And so they find David and they bring David and they say, David, there's a guy in the house. He's got the longest hair in the world. He's, you know, Samuel was a, a Nazarite, never cut his hair. And so he comes in with somebody carrying his hair. And so they see him and David runs in and he says, here I am. And when he comes in, look at what, what he says. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking, like the David on the keyboard. Arise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil. Saul had a flask of oil, something man-made about so big. David has the horn of an animal. It's a, something from a living animal. And that thing is filled with oil. And he takes it and he pours it all over David's head. We consecrated a bishop last Saturday. He's an African-American guy, beautiful guy. And we wrapped towels around him because we want him to have a copious anointing. And we poured oil. She poured, a, she poured a whole horn. Somebody else poured. I tell you what, that colored man was shining by the time we got all that oil on him. He's still shining. He's still got residue of that oil on his life. He's anointed. We use the horn. He's anointed. When that anointing came on him, notice what the Bible says. He anointed him where? In the midst of his brothers. This is the first of three anointings that David is going to have. The first is in the midst of his brothers. 
who don't like him but can't do anything about it now because if they tell, Saul's going to find out and he's not going to kill David. He's going to kill all of them. So they have to say shut up, but they don't like it. Then he anoints him in the midst of his tribe in Judah. Judah anoints him as king over that particular group. And then when Saul's group, all the Israelites came along, he anointed him that third time and he had a national anointing, a family anointing. Say that, please. A, a, a tribal anointing and a national anointing. Anointing is for purpose. Anointing is for purpose. Notice what it says. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David. It came mightily upon David. And I need you to get this because there's something that, that is, was missing in my thinking. And it was this idea that when the Bible says the Spirit came mightily upon Saul, the Spirit came mightily upon David, the Spirit came mightily upon another guy by the name of Samuel, and, uh, or not Samuel, but what's his name? Samson. Sounds all right. When the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson, he tore a lion as one would tear a goat. Now, I don't know how anybody would tear a goat. But you, you, you have to be fairly strong to rip a lion apart when the Spirit comes mightily upon you. When the Spirit came mightily upon David, that's when I believe that he was a lion killer, giant killer, bear killer. Not before he was just playing the guitar. Anointing is for purpose. And sometimes you won't discover what your purpose is until you're confronted with the reality that something wants to take you out. First Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 5, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all of Israel, they said, we've got to take him out. Don't misplace your idea of why you are anointed and what the enemy knows about it because the Bible says the devil knows that the anointing breaks the yoke. Why would the enemy want to let you be satisfied with an anointing that can destroy his purpose? Somebody say, wow. Think of it like this. An anointing is an outward expression of a divine choice for a temporary or permanent assignment. Now, I want you to look very carefully with me at one passage. Go to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. I need to take a little time to get you prepared, lay some groundwork so that you're going to be okay. 1 Kings 19. Look at verse 15. The Lord said to him, go return on your way to the world. He's speaking to Elijah now. Elijah's a guy who felt like, man, I've messed up. And God says, no, I'm, I'm going to give you some assignments. He says, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael, king over Aram. You shall anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Now remember I said, anointing does not necessarily express an affirmation about your personality or your character. 
because Hazael is the guy who Elisha prophesies to and says to him, as he's prophesying, he's looking at him, he just starts to cry. And he says, why are you crying? He says, because I can see the terrible kinds of things that you're going to do to Israel. You're going to rip babies out of wombs. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. And, he, and Hazael says, what kind of dog do you think I am? And he says, and tell your king who asked you whether he's going to live or not, tell him he will, he will live. He's, he's, he's going to live. He says, but God has shown me he's going to die. Tell him he's going to live, but God has shown me he's going to die. And Hazael says, okay, I'll tell him. So he comes back and he says, God has shown me that you're going to live. And then he takes a wet cloth and slaps it over the king's face and smothers him to death. And he becomes the king. I'm looking at it and I said, God, you prophesied that he was going to live. And this guy says, yeah, I'll let him live, but I'm going to also add something to the prophecy that wasn't in there. How he's going to die. Hazael killed him. This is anything about Hazael's character, God's choosing a guy. Do you understand that God chooses bad people to get some of his stuff done? He was anointed to discipline the children of Israel because of the misbehavior. Okay, I'm just going to go find an audience to preach to. Just. So here's the thing, Joseph. When God's people mess up, they have to get a whooping. And God has to raise up somebody else who will do the whooping. And then, because he's a just God, he will raise up somebody else to whoop the people who did the whooping. That's how God does it. I mean, that's just one of the ways that God does it. So he chose Hazael. Say, Hazael. Not a good guy. And then he says, now I want you, and then I want you to anoint Jehu. Who is Jehu? He's the guy who's going to fulfill the prophetic word that Elijah gave concerning Ahab, that he was going to be wiped out and that he's going to erase the whole name of all of his people. Seventy of his sons are going to be killed by Jehu. Jehu is going to wipe out all the Baal believers. It's going to be an incredible massacre. But Jehu is not going to follow the Lord. Just because you are anointed, it doesn't mean there's a guarantee that out of that anointing will flow an obedience to serve God. Look at the passage we were looking at in 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. I want you to see this. This, is, this was so powerful to me. I saw it one day and I just said, OMG. 1 Samuel 16. When Samuel anoints David, where are we right here? Verse 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of the brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Verse 14, read please. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit terrorized him. And Saul's servants then said, Behold, now an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. And that's when they, 
they select David to come and play worship music to calm that thing down in Saul. But what the scriptures tell us is that when Saul would be there, he would be prophesying just like he prophesied after Samuel anointed him. He would be prophesying, and in the middle of David's worship and Saul's prophesying, this crazy man would take a spear and throw it at David. He's still anointed, but he's crazy. I want you to tell a person near you because they don't know this yet. Tell them you can be anointed and still crazy. I'm not just talking about crazy. I'm talking about cray cray crazy. When he heard that, that one of the high priests had tried, had helped David, he went nuts. He says, he says to his army guys, he says, kill him. And the guys look at him, he says, he's a priest, we aren't going to kill him. And he says, Doeg, you saw that, right? He says, then you kill him. And Doeg, the Edomite, kills the high priest, kills all the other priests, goes down into the city where they live, kills the priests, kills their family, kills the kids, kills the babies, kills the animals, he kills everything, all on the order of an anointed man. And here's the thing I want you to see. While David ran from him, the one thing that David assured everybody, I am not touching the Lord's anointed. He lost the presence, but not the anointing. Here's why I think David prays it like this. When he fails, commits adultery, murder, several other things, he says to the Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't cast me away from your presence. The thing that Saul lost was presence. He lost presence because he was a rebel. He lost presence because when God told him to do something, he said, nah, I'm not going to do it that way. And that's when we get the passage in 1 Samuel 15 when he says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and idolatry. So here's this Saul who is still anointed, still the king. 40 years, he's king. And David was a part of that kingship for a number of those years. But here is Saul already knowing that a few weeks after he is appointed and anointed king, he's being told, you're lame duck. You're not going to last. You're not going to have a future in this. Your house could have been settled forever. I have raised up a man after my own heart who will do how much? All of my will. Here's my challenge today. It's people who fail to recognize, especially within the preaching and worshiping community, how important presence is. Yes. 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 And that is not a guarantee. Listen, do you know the anointing oil that the Bible describes, the, the recipe for the anointing oil in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, that recipe was not to be used for 
personal enrichment. In other words, when you needed to get cleaned up and dressed up and you wanted to go outside, don't use the anointing oil as your own personal consecration, as the way you want to get. When I, when I shave, I just put some of that stuff on. When you shave, don't put on anointing oil. Don't put on something for your own personal benefit that only belongs to something that God has set aside. I've watched it over the years, and I'm seeing it even more in these last days that talent has nothing to do with purpose. And there's got to be a point in my life in which I just simply say, God, you remember that song, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. We live in a world, and I think it was, I can't think of the lady's name. You can, might remember it. But I've watched people, particularly, and again, because we're in a worshiping setting, and you came here because of this, I want to just help you to understand, I've been preaching since I was 14 years old. I'm 83 now. And I have seen a lot of stuff in my life, and I've participated in a lot of stuff, and I've made some bad, bad mistakes in my life. All you need to do is have really one bad mistake, and that takes care of the rest of them. But don't pretend that you can't have them. And anointing doesn't protect you from mistakes. What God's anointing ought to do is it's for purpose. God, Joseph, I'm going to anoint you. But I'm not going to allow you to convince yourself that just because I have anointed you, you can do whatever you want to do. That's, that's not for us. And I'm, I'm looking at people today who have somehow figured because I had an anointing or I have an anointing. I mean, there's, there's, tell me a minute again. That's it, Tanner. That's the house that Peter stayed in, right? Okay. Simon the Tanner. Okay, you're mistaken. You guys, you guys read the Bible? There's a lot of funny stuff in the Bible, like baseball in the beginning, you know, or the shortest guy in the Bible is Bildad the Shuhite. And, um, Tanner. Tanner, there's a verse that is mystifying to me, and it's this. There are several verses in which David refuses to touch Saul because he's the anointed. He says, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I will not do that. I will not do that. And well, he's trying to kill you. He says, yeah, I know. I'd rather run than touch the anointed. He's throwing a spear at me. That I'm not going to hang around and let him, let him get me with one. But I'm getting out of here. But it won't go into the record that I responded in anger to him. He was in a cave, and his guy said to him, he's in the cave, doesn't even know you're here. This, the Lord has delivered your enemy into your hands. And, and David says, he slips upon him and cuts a piece of cloth out of his robe. And the Bible says, and his conscience smote him. We have people today who will say anything about anybody and their conscience never bothers them. Say, not cut. 
And when he did that, his conscience, it hit him. Saul walks out and David came out and he says, I'm sorry. There's something in the house. There's something in the nation. There's something in the church. And we're following and Facebook and all of that other stuff has freed us to say anything about anybody, anytime and anywhere. And we think it's okay. And we're learning we're learning the tradition of the heathens. And we will pay a price if we aren't careful. There are people, and I don't, and I don't say this out of any sense of self-righteousness, but I know people who think they are living for God. I know people who people think are living for God. I know they're not living for God. And I've been around them and I've seen them. And yet it's not my job to expose them because they're somebody else's servant. So when I read this verse and it said, Satan or Lucifer was the anointed cherub that covers. Satan, Lucifer, anointed. Why? purpose purpose it doesn't change what God has in mind for him for this cause I raised up Pharaoh to demonstrate who I am there are all kinds of people that God's raised up and that anointing that I'm talking about is for a specific purpose my desire God let me fall into a place where the purpose of my anointing allows me to be all that I can be and nothing more and nothing less. So that when the scripture says, David fulfilled the purpose of God in his generation. Now, please hear me. Because if you're looking for perfection, you're not going to find it in David. If you're looking for perfection, you're not even going to find it in Abraham, who is the father of all those who had faith. Your faith father was a liar. He lied all the time about his sister, who was his wife. Who is that? That's my sister. Okay. Can I take her to live with her? Yeah, yeah, yes, you can. He lied. And he did it more than once. And Sarah, Sarah, how do you feel about that? Well, you know, that's A.B. And I just know, you know. You know, he, he said, well, well, you know, he said, you know, when we left home, he said, honey, you know, you're a good-looking lady. And when we get places, people are going to look at you and just say she's a good-looking lady. And they're going to look at me and say, well, let's get rid of him and we can have her. So would you please tell them? And it was a, it was a half-truth, but a half-truth is a half-lie. Asked the little boy, did she, say, she said, honey, what's a lie? He said, it's an abomination before God, but a very present help in trouble. <laughs> and I know that for a fact. <laughs> Abraham lied. Here's what the minister said to me one day. He said, God doesn't judge you for where you are. He judges you for what you refuse to become. Don't get stuck at where you are and feel like I've given, I'm lost, I'm out of it, I, God can't do it. He said, no. He, look, God looks at Abraham and he says, and he's lying. He says, yes, I know. But you know what? One day I'm going to ask him to give me his only son and he will not reject it. 
and I will confirm his faith in that one action. And you can read anything else you want to read about Abraham, but the Bible says he was a friend of God. He fulfilled his purpose. David fulfilled his purpose. His purpose was not to kill Uriah. His purpose was not to have an affair. His purpose was to establish the kingdom of God, and he did that. Now, he, he, he did some other things that he shouldn't have done, but God, God wants to know, can you do what I've called you to do while you're messing up over on this side? Still, I've got grace for you, but do not dissipate. Do not waste what God has put in your life. Look at some of the songs that we're singing. Embrace the songs. But sometimes the song needs to be adjusted because the words aren't always scriptural. Just because they rhyme, <laughs> they don't mean they reason. I came here to lose myself, to give all I have away. I'm offering all I have to give and I will take nothing I will take nothing but you take me into your presence into your glory I am surrendered to you there you can change me and rearrange me. I love you. You come into the presence of God and you're there for a while. The next thing you know, he's saying things to you. We stay out because we don't want him to say stuff and we don't want to hear it. Or when we, he does speak to us, we're like my brother when my, I, I would say to him, Paul, Mama said, and as soon as I said Mama said, he would do that. And then tell my mother I didn't say anything. Your anointing is not a guarantee that you're going to please God. Your life of service to him your, your willingness to say yes to him. Saul couldn't even say yes when Samuel pointed out that he was wrong. Didn't I tell you to do that? He says, yes, you did, and I did it. He says, you couldn't have done it. He said, but I did do it. And then finally Saul heard Samuel say, and God has taken the kingdom away from you. Not the anointing. There are people today, you and I, are listening to and we're enjoying it. And we just need to keep on enjoying it. But don't let people tell you you can live any kind of life you want because you were anointed one day. Choose to live holy. Choose to live right. Choose to live righteous. Choose to ignore all of the blandishments that are taking place in the world around you. Ignore it. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And the Samaritans were saying ugly things to him. And his disciples were saying, Lord, you want us to call fire down on him like 
Elijah did. He says, you don't know what spirit you're of. We live in a season and in a day when people will cast aspersions on you because they recognize the anointing that you have. And the worst thing that you can do is respond to them. Two really great preachers were in a particular city and they were at the corner of one of the, of the, the blocks in the city and, uh, and they were there and this, this guy yelled out, hey y'all, two of the greatest preachers in the world right here, right here in our city on this block and he was celebrating them and they looked at one another and laughed. They got a block down the street and there was an old lady down there, hey y'all, two of the biggest crooks in the ministry right here in this city. And he looked at, one of the guys looked at, he says, isn't it interesting? You can go one block, you can be celebrated here, and at the end of the block, denigrated. He says, what do you need to do? You need to ignore it and keep walking. Look at somebody, I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to hold on to the anointing that God's given me. Tomorrow I'm going to talk about how the anointing is, is being used by God to build the kingdom of God and to build beauty and structure. There's this beautiful song, anointing fall on me. Sing it. Anointing fall. Let the power of the Holy Ghost Fall on me, anointing fall on me. Stand with me. Anointing fall on me, anointing. Let the power of the Holy there's an interesting thing that in the book of Exodus the first person in the Bible ever mentioned to be filled with the Holy Spirit was a man by the name of Bezalel he was a craftsman sewed brought things together to make beauty, interesting things. It's possible that the anointing that might fall on you will come with a broom or a shovel. I'm anointed to sweep the church. I'm anointed See, some, some folks don't need to have devils driven out of them. They just need to be driven to their job. And you're anointed to do it. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Your anointing has purpose. And if you're not in touch with that, don't go to sleep tonight. It's, well, go to sleep tonight, but say, God, while I'm sleeping, give me a dream. 
Don't miss out on what God has for you. Long time ago, I couldn't say it, but my wife was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and God just led her into casting out demons and healing the sick. And and uh, but she was in a Pentecostal church where they didn't believe in stuff like that. I was in that same Pentecostal church where they didn't believe stuff like that. And so um, I got kicked out. I used to say, we got kicked out. She says, no, you got kicked out, and I had to go with you because I was married to you. But in that day when she was being told, don't say anything else about it, don't try to do any more of this, she said, I made in my mind, I would, I would come under their authority and I would pay attention. She said, but I knew there would come a day when God would bring somebody into my life that would allow me to be in touch with my anointed purpose. And while she couldn't cast out demons there or heal the sick, God has taken her all over the world. And I've watched her minister to so many different people. She didn't push it. She allowed it. You don't have to struggle for what God's given you. But it is important for you to say yes. So when you say anointing, fall on me. Take whatever he has for you. In this, in this week, Listen as carefully as you can to what the Holy Spirit has for you. You're going to be amazed at what he says to you, and you're going to go home with a new insight about who you are and what God's called you because anointing is for purpose. Say it, please. Anointing. I want to give you five statements that I want you to repeat after me. I have a purpose. My purpose is to win the loss of Jesus Christ. I can best fulfill my purpose on a team. I will never be satisfied until I'm fulfilling my purpose. The last one is I have no promise for tomorrow. Please close your eyes. Father, today I just thank you so much for the life that you entrusted to Barbara and to me more than 50 years ago. I thank you that the purpose for which you raised us up through thick and thin, through dark and light, through good times and bad, we've seen your hand touch the multitude. I believe everyone here can find that place in you that will satisfy the deep place in them that says, what is my purpose? But tonight, instead of saying, what is my purpose? Even asking that question, we're going to say, whatever your purpose is, we say yes to it. Irrespective of what we think it is or what it could be, we say yes to your purpose, yes to your will, and yes to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.